0: How to measure intelligence, the history of IQ tests, eugenics, and Nazis. I grew up as a smart kid. I don't recall when this mantle was placed upon me or when I adopted it. I just remember it always being that way. Maybe it was my love for reading or my aptitude for memorizing things. It doesn't really matter. The point is that over time, it became a part of my identity. As I've gotten older, It's a part of my identity that I have carefully tried to remove. I didn't try to become dumb. I've simply tried to remove the label of smart. Sometimes that process went wrong, and sometimes it produced unexpected fruit. One of the things it brought about was a fascination with intelligence. Intelligence is hard to define and even more difficult to quantify. The root of the word means to understand. But understanding can be applied to a myriad of areas. Early attempts to quantify intelligence led to eight groupings. Musical, mathematical, linguistic, naturalist, intrapersonal, intrapersonal, spatial, and kinesthetic. Later experts attempted to simplify the buckets to just three. Analytical, creative, and practical. Today you will often hear phrases like emotional intelligence or social intelligence. Others will tout street smarts over book smarts. Just as difficult as defining or measuring intelligence is determining where intelligence originates. Some argue you were born smart, while others claim you are a product of your environment. It's the classic nature versus nurture debate. Understanding how we understand things is complicated, and the history of studying intelligence is even more so. The origins of IQ tests. The first modern studies of human intelligence were ironically unintelligent. A man by the name of Samuel George Morton, who lived in the 1800s, believed that cranial capacity, or how big someone's head was, could be used to determine intelligence. He collected hundreds of skulls from around the world to conduct his tests. Instead of believing in just one human race, he believed there were many races of humans he conveniently found that the skulls of Caucasians, his own race, were the largest. Over a hundred years after Morton, the fascinating book, The Mismeasure of Man by Stephen Gould, proved many of Morton's results were fabricated. After Morton came a statistician by the name of Francis Galton. Galton believed in eugenics, the belief that selective breeding should be used to produce humans with so-called desirable characteristics. He began to theorize about human intelligence through that lens. He extrapolated Darwinian principles to hypothesize that intelligence was largely hereditary. He conducted various tests to prove this, but was unsuccessful, and he later abandoned the research. Though he was not able to support his claims, the ugly marriage between intelligence and eugenics began. A few decades later, at the beginning of the 20th century, Alfred Binet and Theodore Simon created the Binet-Simon test. It would become the foundation for many IQ tests down the road. The score of the test revealed a child's supposed mental age. It was meant for identifying schoolchildren who were struggling to perform the same tasks as their peers. Binet himself believed that intelligence was multifaceted and should be studied using qualitative, not quantitative measures. One of his contemporaries, Charles Spearman, believed the opposite. A fan of the eugenicist Galton Spearman created the first factor analysis of correlations between the various IQ tests. Essentially, he thought intelligence could be boiled down to a single variable he called the G-factor, a real one-ring-to-rule-them-all situation. The stage was set. Many built upon the binet simon test, originally intended to measure the development of children to create IQ tests for adults. Eugenics was gaining popularity at the same time. IQ tests went from theory to dark practice as the 20th century rolled on. Eugenics and Nazi Application of IQ Tests The United States government used IQ tests to select officers during World War I recruitment. These tests were fraught with the bias of their eugenic-leaning creators, both the Carnegie and Rockefeller families provided funding for the initiative. It also had proponents at Harvard, Columbia, and Cornell. The results were self-affirming of the racism and nationalism at the time. The outcome of the test was later analyzed and dismissed. IQ tests quickly went from informing military practice to determining public policy. In 1924, the state of Virginia passed a law on the forced sterilization of individuals, mostly women, with low IQ scores. The decision was upheld by the Supreme Court of the United States. In total, more than 60,000 people were sterilized in the first half of the 20th century in the name of eugenics. More than a third of that number lived in California, and once again, the majority were poor women. While the Americans used IQ tests to justify forced sterilization, the Nazis used them to justify murder. Seeking to rid their Aryan race of feeble-mindedness and other undesirable traits, the Nazis executed countless individuals for having low IQs. Over time, it was observed that IQ scores were rising substantially from generation to generation. It was concluded that this effect, known as the Flynn effect, could not be the result of genetics alone. Environmental impact on intelligence was given more weight as improved education, health care, and nutrition became the norm. Current IQ Tests The sordid history of IQ tests continues to be felt in more recent times. In the mid-20th century, IQ tests were used to diagnose mental health disorders, including schizophrenia and depression. Later studies revealed extreme variability in the results between evaluators. The results were deemed clinically inaccurate. Even today, some leverage IQ tests to determine learning disabilities. These tests have much of the same foundation as original IQ tests. I still hear a lot about IQ today, but I don't know anyone that has ever taken an IQ test. That is because most official IQ tests today cost well over a thousand dollars and they often require some sort of evaluator to verify the results. I tend to agree with Stephen Hawking about IQ scores. When a New York Times reporter asked him what his IQ was, he responded, I have no idea. People who boast about their IQ are losers. Animal and artificial intelligence. Humans have long considered themselves at the top of the food chain of intelligence. All other animals are weighed against our intelligence. The question is not how smart are they, it is how smart are they compared to us. It is one of the reasons I find the orangutan exhibit at my local zoo so fascinating. While many of the animals seem to be oblivious to the patrons, the orangutans come right up to us. They press their hand up to the glass when I do. They look right into my eyes. When I look at them, I can feel their intelligence. They know I'm there and they are connecting with me. Many other animals are famous for their intelligence. Dolphins for their problem-solving skills, crows for their ability to make tools, Elephants for their memory, and even octopuses are incredible puzzle solvers. Considering other species' intelligence has given me an appreciation for our own. Equally as interesting is the world of artificial intelligence. AI has become a craze in recent times. ChatGPT gave everyone with an internet connection a first-row seat to easily interact with an AI. It's a captivating experience. I was struck by the emotional intelligence it fabricated. One of the very first questions I asked it was something along the lines of, help me journal for the day. It gave me a list of things I could consider, which was expected, but it then followed up with a whole paragraph of encouragement. I found it strangely charming. AI still has a long way to go, but there is no denying the accelerating pace of its application. How I measure intelligence. If I could go back to my younger self, I think I would tell them that no one is a smart kid. We don't even know how to comprehensively define smart, let alone measure it. As a parent, I don't tell my kids they are smart or talented. I compliment them on their effort on learning something or on conquering a challenging problem. I try to let my kids try and fail. I see more value in failure now than I do in getting something right. Whether it's IQ tests, animals, computers, or humans, I'm continually fascinated by intelligence. I hope that as time goes on and neuroscience continues to develop, our understanding of all intelligence will continue to grow with more sound science. I've learned not to oversimplify complex concepts like intelligence. It isn't a sliding scale. It's all relative and infinitely nuanced. No one is smart. It is too definitive of a stance to take on such an incredibly complex topic. I now measure intelligence by not measuring intelligence. Humans are complicated. The brain is complicated. Intelligence is complicated.